1 Samuel 25, verse 1. The Bible says that Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, so David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus shall you greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, <coughs> Pardon, and peace be uh, to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time that they were in Carmel. Ask our young men, and they will tell you. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men found favor in, uh, find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please, give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, who is David? Who's the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. I can hear him grunting right there. Strap on his sword. This is a brave heart moment. Every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained behind with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Now watch this woman. Then Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs. And she laid them on donkeys and said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now the chapter is going to go on further. There's much more to say about this story, but I'm going to deal with that as we move through it. When we think of women in the kingdom, there's a lot of caricatures. Most of what we perceive, maybe not most, but a lot of what we perceive concerning women, who they are in Christ, what is their role in the church, what do they do in the kingdom, what are they not supposed to do in the kingdom, 
unfortunately because of the massive biblical ignorance that has hit this generation going back about 40 years especially now in this generation where people are just ignorant of scripture a lot of what people believe about women in the kingdom is framed up by culture depending on what church you were brought up in you're going to have that church's understanding of what who women are in the kingdom or whoever gets to you first oftentimes are the ones that frame it up and the Bible is clear in a lot of places about the equality of men and women and their value in the kingdom. There are distinguishing of roles in the kingdom and functions in the kingdom between men and women. Billy said it very clearly on Sunday morning. Let me make sure that you understand that we believe this. We believe in the biblical pattern of male headship in the home and in the church. But really, what does that mean? Because that can come off sounding extremely uh, misogynistic and autocratic and overbearing and demanding well that's not the heart of God concerning women one of these days soon we're going to go over all of that and I think it will be in part a revolutionary study for a lot of us and I actually think a good deal of what God may have in store for Newbridge Church and the IHOP Atlanta mission base is going to come on the heels of us receiving uh, theological breakthrough and then breakthrough in our practice concerning the roles of women but for tonight I just want to look at one sister who had it going on in the kingdom, and I want to say this, God raise up more women with the spirit and the anointing of Abigail on them. So what does all that mean? Well, let's find out. First of all, like a lot of women in the church today, this was a lady with a difficult man. She had a difficult man, and feel free to say amen if you want to, ladies, but be wise when you say amen tonight. But she was a lady with a difficult man, so go back up with me into the first chunk of verses in 1 Samuel 25, and I'm actually going to use a little bit of ESV and a little bit of King James tonight. I, there are times where I just love the way King James says some things, but the notes will be up on your screen. But first of all, when we're talking about this character named Nabal, that's her husband. He is a loser. I'm not judging him. That's what the Bible says. He's a loser, and he had a horrible witness. The Bible says that his name was Nabal and his the name of his wife wife was Abigail and the woman was discerning and beautiful but her husband the man was harsh <laughs> and the ESV says badly behaved King James says churlish which is a word I don't even know what it means but I like the way it sounds he was churlish well when you look at this study this is what you find out Nabal's name actually means stupid it means fool so I don't know how he got that name. I don't know if that's his birth name, but if it was, his mom and dad set him up for failure. I'd like to name my son Stupid Fool. And my guess is that he had a different name, but he earned his name Nabal as time went. And Abigail's name means um, the gift to my father. And so you've got this woman who, who her father saw her when she was born and he names her that she's his gift and he raises her up and he pours into her and based on how she turns out, she must have been raised really, really well. And then the father in some moment of, of blindness gives her in this arranged marriage that was common at that time, gives her to stupid fool. <laughs> and he gives the gift to this guy named Nabal. And we don't know how long they're married. They don't have any kids together that the scripture uh, tells us. But we just know that the witness of this man was revealed in his name, that he actually lived up to his name, as we're going to see in this passage. Now, here's some good things about the guy. Uh, he not only had this terrible witness, but he had tremendous wealth. In verse number two, the Bible says that his business was in Carmel. And the Bible says he was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep. 
and a thousand goats. So there in his city, Nabal is known as the jerk, but he's also known as the jerk who was rolling. He had a lot of money. He was a successful businessman. People knew that. He was in the agricultural farming industry, and he had either inherited or uh, built a business that he had a lot of material wealth. That may be a hint as to why Abigail's father gave her to him. That dowry has tempted many a good father to settle too soon for his wife's daughter in this climate of arranged marriages in the ancient world and in the near and far east even today. And so here we're going to get down to where it starts really getting in the nitty-gritty. Y'all stay with me because this is going to get really interesting. We're starting in low gear. We, we find out about this man based on his words. So let me tell you what's going on here in verses 9, 12 to 14. L let me read you the words first. This is Nabal speaking to David's representatives, King David's representatives. They've come and they've asked for some food. And Nabal's response is, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse, which is kind of a, a slight on David? He says, there are many servants in these days who are breaking away from their masters. He's referencing there King Saul being over David and David being on the run from King Saul. And then Nabal says this, Am I, watch this, listen to Nabal's selfishness come out in verse 11. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed? For my shearers and give it to the man uh, the men who come from I do not know where and then in verse number 14 a little later one of Nabal's servants is testifying to Abigail and he says David sent messages que paso thank you <laughs> behold David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master and he railed at them all right let me tell you what was going on so it's sheep shearing season that's a tongue twister but it's the season where Nabal's got all this livestock and so he's bringing out the shears and that doesn't mean anything to you and I we're living in the city or the suburbs and we're living in a totally different world but in the ancient times in David's day when it was time to shear the sheep it was a festival it was a party there was, it was a time of celebration there would be food there would be wine it was a great festive time and so David sends his representatives up to Nabal and and the the periphery of the story is that all during the year where the sheep had been grazing and moving from pasture to pasture David's men who were living in the wilderness kind of kept an eye on Nabal's flocks and offered them some subtle protection from people that might do them harm and so David as custom was at that time is saying hey I scratched your back all year it's time of celebration how about scratching my back send uh, these 10 men go up to Nabal and say hey We've, we've done our best to serve you, and David even calls himself, hey, I'm, I'm just coming to you as a son. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to respect you. Nabal, could you give us something to eat? And Nabal comes off with this, who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? It's a slight. It's a slander. Now, I want to remind you, everybody knew who David was. They were singing songs about David, remember? David killed Goliath. David was the military hero. He was on the run from King Saul, who had lost his ever-loving mind and was wanting to kill David. So David's on the run, but everybody knew who David was. He was a national hero. And Nabal is just some high roller with a bad attitude. And when David comes to him with deference and honor and humility, Nabal goes off on his men and greatly insults him. Now... That shows you that Nabal is living up to his name, stupid fool. And let me tell you why. Because David was one bad guy. Not a bad guy, but one bad dude. How about I say it that way? 
You don't mess with David. You don't mess with a guy who chopped off the head of a nine-foot giant and put their whole army to flight. You don't mess with a guy that goes out to every war he goes out to fight, he wins. And Nabal is so consumed with himself that he thinks he can get away with sliding God's man and the national hero at that time. Now, Nabal has made an amazingly bad mistake. And it is only the grace of God that he has a wife who the Bible says is not only beautiful, but she is discerning. She is wise. She is sharp. And so before I talk about Abigail, let me, let me just talk momentarily before I talk about what she did. When the Bible says of Abigail, back up in verse number three, that she was beautiful and discerning. When the Bible tells you something of another person, when it gives a descriptor to a person, you really ought to stop and pause there because I want you to think like this. The Holy Spirit is intentionally um, preserving a description of a person that he wants every generation to know. Now, the Bible doesn't mention, of all the people that are mentioned in the Bible, the Bible very rarely refers to a particular woman as being beautiful. So when the Bible does reference somebody as being beautiful, I want to go ahead and say that she's a knockout. When, and I'm not being irreverent or anything. I'm not being flippant. I'm just saying when the Holy Spirit wants you to know that a woman was physically attractive, then that means that it wasn't up for vote, that anybody that saw her would have seen this beauty. And it is talking about physical beauty. In case you're interested, there's only about seven different women in the Old Testament that are referred to that way. Sarah is called beautiful. Um, you have um, Rachel that's called beautiful. David's daughter Tamar is called beautiful. Uh, a little-known uh, young woman named Abishag, who they tried to get to be with David at one point late in his life, she was called beautiful. Esther was called beautiful. Listen, I mean, I just want you to know this. Beauty is vain. It does leave. It's there for a little bit, and then it is gone. Time is not a friend to any of our physical appearance. Don't be offended. That's all of us, male and female. But there are seasons where God chooses to place a physical appearance that is beautiful on somebody. He never wants people to take their identity in that because, as I said, it passes away. But there are times, and then you've got, by the way, Job's daughters are called the most beautiful in the land. But that's not really the part that amazes me because um, Abigail is the only woman I found anywhere in Scripture that is called both beautiful and smart. There's a lot of beauty given there, but the Bible goes out of the way and says she's not only attractive, she is sharp. She is smart. She is, in essence, the Hebrew word that is uh, translated discerning can also mean cunning. That means she knows how to work things for the glory of God or for the good of others, and we're about to find out what that looks like. So, back to the narrative. We're going to see now a lady who had a fire to extinguish. Nabal has insulted David, and David is about to reveal the weaker parts of his character. So look at it. Go down into verse number 12 with me. First of all, you're going to see this. Abigail's king's ego was bruised. Her king's ego was bruised. David's young men turned away from Nabal, come back to the camp, and they told David about all the insults that Nabal hurled on David. Now, what, a, what an unenviable task to have to go back to King David, who's not yet king, but he's been anointed king, but not enthroned, and have to say, um, David, Nabal didn't send us back with any grub. 
We don't have any pork chop. Well, they wouldn't have eaten pork chops, but we don't. We <laughs> forgot where I was, but the, we don't have any food. We don't have any steak. We don't have any lamb. We don't have any chicken. We don't have anything. We don't have any bread. We don't have any wine. We didn't get any cakes. We worked all year, and we ended up getting nothing. And by the way, David, he didn't just not give us something. He insulted you. He called you the son of Jesse, and I saw his face when he said it, and he wasn't meaning it as a compliment, and he's saying that he doesn't even really know who you are. And by the way, David, he also hinted around that you're a rebel against Saul, and you've dishonored Saul. So I can just imagine as David's hearing these words, his, the blood's just creeping up in his neck, and his face is getting red, and his hands are starting to shake, and all of a sudden, his ego had just taken a hit. Guys, let's be honest with something. Most of us would rather get punched in the mouth than to get kicked in the ego. Guys, I'm just going to confess it on our behalf. Maybe you're the exception to the rule, but ladies, be careful with your amens here. But guys typically have fragile egos. We want to be the man. And if we ain't the man, we at least want to pretend that we can feel like we're the man. And then when reality comes at us, or even non-reality, when our ego is bruised, our name, our honor is removed, Women want love, men want respect. Those are the two pillars that kind of differentiate between men and women and what we, we long for uh, in our hearts. Men, most men will tell you, I would rather be respected than love. Women hear that and they're like, what? But it's true. Most men would rather be respected. If they could only have one, they'd rather be respected than love. And women are like, y'all are nayballs, amen. Y'all are, <laughs> that's just stupid. Well, so David gets his ego kicked there. And like most men, when our ego gets bruised, we don't curl up in a ball and cry. We strap on the sword. Look at verse number 13. So her king's anger was kindled. David's next words was, every man strap on his sword. And the Bible says, every man of them strapped on his sword. This was not their first rodeo. They had fought way more intimidating armies than Nabal and his little household. And David strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David. Now, Nabal doesn't know any of this. But if you, if you just picture the scene, all of these men, the leader of whom had been deeply offended, he's full of rage, he's boiling, he is literally going up there not to have a conversation. You don't bring your sword when you want to talk things out. He's going up there to kill Nabal and every man in his house. That's exactly what the servant said. The servant had already told um, Abigail that, um, well, he's about to tell Abigail that all of David's men, 400 are coming, 200 are staying behind, and they're coming up and they're going to wipe out all of the men in Nabal's family. That's the, that's the wrath of man that does not work the righteousness of God. David's a man after God's own heart, but he is not sinless. And it is another peak into the weakness of men. You see, Abigail is the only person who is bringing God glory in this whole passage of Scripture. She's got an idiot of a husband, and then she's got this king who is going to prove his point by literally murdering a man and all of his household simply because his ego got tweaked a little bit. Guys, we need to think about this. I'm going to talk, uh, this is one of those messages where, guys, we, we've got a lot to learn, and, and, and ladies... You get to emulate this wonderful woman of God. But guys, um, there's got to come a time where we're not dominated by our passions. Lust 
always seems to get the most press when we're talking about the weaknesses of men. And it's a problem, no doubt about it. But you know what? Anger, I think, probably does as much damage as lust. We often learn how to mask our anger. We, we, learn, we know that we can't get away with giving full vent to our anger. But we're kind of like those Hawaiian volcanoes that just months ago, they were fine. They were lush. Tourists are flocking there. But then something happens and boom, the lava starts coming out. And that's the way it is with a lot of us guys. David is just showing that though he is um, in the kingdom, the kingdom of God, though he's got a heart after God, he has the same propensities as you and as me. That in a moment outside of the control of the Holy Spirit with one little snapshot of bad decisions, we can not only wreck the lives of others, we can wreck our own lives. So when I read this passage, here's, you know, I'm, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I do recognize this. I say to myself, in this passage, I do not want to be like Nabal, and I do not want to be like David. It sounds really weird, but I want to be like Abigail. I want to emulate her character, her spiritual tenacity. So what is she going to do? Well, we're going to get to her in a minute. Verse number 15 and 16, just to summarize this, I'm going to take us through this whole chapter. The rest of it's going to go quicker. Her king's generosity was spurned. Now watch this. In verse 15 and 16, the servant of Nabal recounts all the good that David had done and how Nabal refused to appreciate it. Here, here's another insight, ladies, to, to men. Well, I, I've already said it. Men like to be honored. And I'm going to tell you something. It may even seem silly, but it's important to most men. We, we, want, we don't necessarily need to have people applauding us all the way. Go get them. We don't need our own little amen corner. But I'm going to tell you, there's something about every now and then to appreciate a man. When you, listen, I know we're not the most sensitive. That's why you have girlfriends, by the way. You have girlfriends to get you. You know, I, I remember when Amy and I first got married, she'd be constantly hurt because I didn't just get it. And I remember, and it probably wasn't the best way to say it, but I remember early on, I don't know how long we had been married, I said, baby, I love you, but I did not come into this thing with a crystal ball. Like, I have no idea, and you know, ladies, come on, be honest, y'all better help me here. Y'all are looking at me like me and her are the only ones that struggled with this early on. But, but y'all want us to just know. You don't want to have to tell us. You want us to just know. You want us to just get it. And, and so you'll throw out hints, and most hints never work on men. And so we're not the most intu intuitive creatures on the earth. So, but what we do do is we like to do things and accomplish things and make things happen and fix things and help things. We, we like to do that. And when we do, we like to be appreciated for it. Ladies, I want to tell you something. If you're struggling in your marriage, you say, well, I'm just waiting on him to love me. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Why don't you go ahead and start appreciating him? Well, he doesn't deserve it because he doesn't love me right. Well, start appreciating him and see if he'll start loving you right. Somebody's got to be the first to put the cross on their back and carry it and go after Jesus. And so with Nabal, he disrespected David. He dishonored David. He broke. He, he, David was being generous. David was, David was taking care of Nabal's stuff all year long with no con contract, but just taking care of da uh, Nabal's stuff all year long and Nabal just thumbed his nose at it so that just added to David's anger and so now in verse number 17 here it is her king's ego was bruised his anger was kindled his generosity was spurned and his mind was made up verse 17 this is what Nabal's servant said to Nabal's wife 
Therefore, know this and consider what you should do, Abigail. For harm is determined against our master, Nabal, and against all his house. And now listen to what his servant said. And he is such a worthless man that nobody can talk to him. So in other words, the testimony of Nabal was not only that he was stupid fool, but he was also impossible to talk to. You can't tell him anything. And so this servant goes to Abigail because Abigail, the Bible says, is discerning. She's sharp. This servant would have had enough exposure to the wife of Nabal to know Nabal's a lost cause, but his woman, his wife, can make things happen. And so the servant gets a private audience and he says, we're all about to die. We are all about to die. And let me tell you what your worthless husband did. And Abigail doesn't protest. Um, By the way, I think she is way more concerned with saving Nabal's life than saving his reputation because he's about to die. And so this is where we see Abigail just punch through this impossibly jacked up situation that two men are about to have a war with each other. So now, here we go, we get to get to Abigail. So here I call her a lady with strength on display. And I want to talk to you ladies, my sisters, daughters of God, about what it means in part to be strong. Because there's a lot of confusion between, uh, on the earth today and in the church, between what it means to be a strong woman And most women are defaulting to a 1960s and 1970s breed of feminism that says, no, to be strong, you've got to become hardened. So what we've got is a bunch of women wanting to be strong, but they don't know how to be strong in the God-given role and femininity that the Lord's given them. So what do they do? They're parroting what it means to be a man. And so they feel we've got to be masculine in order to be strong. No, you absolutely don't. That is messed up. Because in order to do that, what you're going to do is you're going to default to the worst part of masculinity, which is hardness. And that's not what God wants for either the male or the female. So let's just look at this. First of all, in verse 18, when we see her strength on display, it's revealed in her clarity of action. So in verse number 18, it just, I'm not going to read it all, but she prepares a feast and a moment's notice for David's hungry men. Now you can read the verse for yourself. But as soon as Abigail is told the problem, this sharp-minded, discerning woman says, I know how to fix this thing. They wanted food, we're going to get them some food. And so she gets meat, she gets bread, she gets wine, she gets some, some raisins, some fruit. And the Bible even says she, she packs up dessert. She got them some fig cakes, a bunch of them. And so I don't know how she did it all, but she got that servant team moving, gets all of this stuff put together, and in a clarity of action, look, the clock is ticking. She didn't have time to have a prayer meeting. There are times, friends, when we pray, and there are other times where we just better get moving. And that's why we have to be filled with the Spirit before the crisis comes. Because if you wait till the crisis comes before you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be in big trouble. That's why we're called to live being filled with the Spirit, because crises do come. And when they come, if you're walking in the Spirit, God's going to tell you what to do right there in the moment. And that's exactly what happens to Abigail. So down in verses 23 and 24, she, she packs up all the food. She finds David and his men, 400 dudes, with David coming the opposite way. And she reveals her strength and her humility of heart. Um, You can just read verses 23 and 24, but she comes and bows before King David. She gave David the two things her husband wouldn't give David, honor and a meal. 
That's all David wanted. And Nabal was too foolish to give David what he rightfully deserved. And Abigail, so smart that she goes right to the heart of the matter. And everything her foolish husband would not give David, she does. And she comes and she bows down. And she actually does this. Ladies, wow. You talk about just the intensity of just being God-centered. She actually takes the blame upon herself for what her husband did in his idiocy. Her husband calls this whole thing, but she gets in front of David and she says, let the blame be upon me. I didn't even know that you were wanting a meal, but here I've got it, David. I've got the whole thing. Now, let me give you something here, ladies. One woman just put a halt to 400 hot-headed men that were bloodthirsty. One woman. One woman walking in fellowship with the Lord just stopped an army of bloodthirsty killers by her humility and her wisdom. There's nothing hard, hardened about that. She didn't come up there all jack-booted saying, hey, you're going to mess with me. She didn't try to come off as some, you know, person that can you know, intimidate David. She came with humility and a meekness and a quietness of spirit. She disarmed the hostility. Uh, you know it had to have been a struggle for the men because, you know, they, they already had pictured what was going to happen. And all of a sudden, here's this nice woman. And they're, you know, they're huffing and puffing and ready to go up there and tear into these guys. And now all of a sudden, God starts speaking through Abigail. Because David wasn't walking in the spirit in that moment. And all of a sudden, there's a spiritual woman in front of him reflecting the heart of God to him. And it stopped the, uh, the band of soldiers going up to make war. So her strength was in her humility. Her strength was in her clarity of thinking. And her strength was in her honesty. Now, I am going to read these verses. These are verses... I didn't get to read, but let me read out of the ESV here. Here's what she says to King David. Let not my lord, little L, let not the king regard this worthless fellow Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal, stupid fool, is his name. And folly or foolishness is with him. And then Abigail says, but I your servant. You see the humility? did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, my King, as Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, because Yahweh has restrained you from this blood guilt and from saving with your own, or, and from saving yourself with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to you be, as my, be to my Lord as Nabal. And now let this present the food that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to your young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant for the Lord, watch this, the Lord will certainly make my Lord, the Lord will certainly make you, David, a sure house because you are fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my king will be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of the sling. 
And when the Lord has done to you according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you the king over Israel, you will have no cause of grief or pangs in your conscience for having shed blood without cause. That woman, I don't know, maybe I'm just the only one who's just kind of just like, wow. It's just rolling off her tongue like butter. Do you see what she's doing? She's coming to David, and this is what she's saying. She's saying, David, what you're about to do is very much beneath you. My husband, he's just being who he is. But David, there's destiny on your life. Our God, Yahweh, is going to establish you as the king over Israel. And you want to be able to take your throne and know that you didn't do anything as you waited for the throne by the power of your own hand to protect yourself, but you let God fight your enemies for you. She's brilliant. She's, br- she's, spe- she's the only one with wisdom in the whole chapter. Maybe her and the servant that told on Nabal, but the only one that is expressing spiritual wisdom. She's, she's proclaiming the heart of God. David's in his flesh, Nabal's in his flesh, Abigail's in the spirit, and Abigail takes command of the situation, not by force, but by influence. Ladies, I want to tell you something that you know. Amy and I were actually talking about this a week ago, and I thought she had a great point, so I'm going to hijack it and pretend it's mine right now. Amy said, Jeff, women know that they have the power to manipulate men. That was your perfect time to say amen, ladies. Y'all know it. Listen, can I just, can I just, well, I think we're all grown-ups in here. Men are kind of easily, ma- men that aren't walking with Jesus are easily mastered by women. It doesn't take much. I'm just going to be as blunt as I can. A little cleavage and a little thigh, and, and that man's owned. I'm not even trying to be funny. That's how pitiful it is. And, and, and ungodly men, men that aren't walking in the Spirit, will become like servants to women just with that thing. And women know that. Women know how to use manipulation to get what they want out of men. Abigail took that same ability to influence, but didn't manipulate David to his demise, but she instead inverted manipulation and made it godly influence. So ladies, I'm going to ask you a question. You don't answer out loud. Where are you on that spectrum? How are you using your influence? To manipulate a man to get something out of him or to influence a man so that God will put something in him? See, moms and wives and daughters, I think your place in the kingdom, that the enemy just likes to prostitute and counterfeit everything God designed. So God gives women the ability to influence men. Satan takes that ability, perverts it, and uses it to make manipulation of men. Through a, not just through uh, sexuality, but through a host of other things. Women know how to stroke a man's ego to get what they want out of him. Listen, y'all may not like this. I don't care. I mean, I'm just telling you what I believe. But, but the reality is, is that there's a reason why we hear story after story about powerful men that are brought down by the sensuality or the stroking of ego by a woman who just knows how to manipulate well. And what I want to see is I want to see a generation of the daughters of God rise up that know how to not manipulate in the flesh, but know how to influence in the spirit so that when the man looks at his wife or looks at his mom or looks at his daughter, he can say Proverbs 31 is all over her. 
because of her influence, because of her grace, because of her impact on my life, now my children will wise up and call her blessed and my name will have honor on it because of the woman that, that showed influence on my life. See, ladies, it's all a choice. We, we've got to start taking authority and using the power that God has given us, not to become hard and, oh, God, help us, deliver us, Lord. This is my prayer right now. Lord, deliver us from the confusion that a woman has to become like a man to be powerful. It's crazy. I don't know why I'm yelling, but I'm, I'm stirred up about this. It's just nuts that you already have the power, and you don't need it to be masculinized for it to become legitimized. Man, that was good. Somebody, ought to, somebody tweet that. That was the Holy Spirit right there. And so there she is. And listen, she's in control of the whole situation. And she didn't have to jockey for position. She didn't stomp her feet. She didn't strut. She didn't, she didn't, she just honored and influenced. And then when we get down to the end of it, which I probably need to do based on the clock, but she was honest about her husband. Um, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. She, I mean, she said to David, he, he, he's just a fool. Now today we'd say, well, how dare she say that? She was more interested in saving his life than saving his reputation. And in order to save his life, she had to acknowledge that his reputation he had earned. That was just the character of Nabal. And she was honest about David's potential mistakes. She said, David, you're about to blow this. You don't want to do this. She didn't command him. She didn't defy him. She bowed before him. She honored him. She, she kind of took the situation on herself. And she said, but David, God's got destiny on your life, and you're about to mess it up. You are about to commit murder because your ego's been dented. David, that's beneath you. You don't want to do that. She just spoke discernment. I mean, she was cold waters to his thirsty soul. And, and he's about to go and burn in anger and rage and violence and revenge. And she just brings a calm voice. I love it when my wife, I'm going to brag on her a little bit tonight. It'd be easier if you weren't here, but I'm going to do it anyway. But when, there are times where I would have walked over the cliff. Times where I would have made a bad situation much worse. There are times where I would have quit when God wasn't calling me to quit. There are times where I would have taken a, 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 a tremendously difficult situation with all my super gifting. I would have made that thing much worse. And my wife will just sit there and listen to me. And I'll be going, that's all it sounds like. Just, you know, just, just talking junk. And she'll just... this I'll be like oh yeah what about that why, why didn't I think about that well Jeff you couldn't see from the smoke pouring out of your nostrils and your ears because you're you know it's just it's just amazing and quite frankly if she got up in my face and wagged her finger in my face every time I was wrong I probably wouldn't listen to her but she doesn't do that she just lets me run out of my own gas and then says to me hey Let's talk Jesus for a second. Let's, let's think about what our king would do. And ladies, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I've learned over the years, and guys, if you're newly married or you haven't learned this lesson yet, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you something. She's not always right, but she's right more often than you think. And we are bettered when we listen to our women, our wives. Women doesn't sound right, but our wives, when we are 
When they are walking in the Spirit, we are extremely blessed and benefited when we give our ear to their counsel when they're speaking the wisdom of God. So the very last thing is whatever happened to old Nabal? Because he's still, the Bible says he's a drunk. He's just sitting at the house being stupid and foolish and drunk. That's, that's kind of what he does, counting his money. And he doesn't know any of this is going on. She just saved his life. So let's look down into verses, the last few verses, and we'll, we'll cut loose here. We see Abigail not only as a lady with strength on display and a lady with a fire to extinguish and a lady with a, a difficult man, but we see her as a lady with favor from God. And here's how I see it. First of all, Abigail receives favor with King David. Down there in verses 32 through 35, part of it says this. This is where I imported the King James. I just like the way this sounds. David listens to Abigail. He knows he's been acting foolish. He's now seeing the wisdom, and he says, Blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, Abigail, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with my own hand. Friends, she just diffused the situation. David just sees all of a sudden the wisdom of God. God spoke through Abigail into David's life, and he wasn't too proud to receive it. God help us, gentlemen. God help the church when the muzzle is placed upon the daughters of God because of years and years of male superiority and dominance and the audacity to think that we can't learn from women I'm not talking about official roles in the church. I'm talking about influence and wisdom and spirit and giftedness. If David had that attitude, he would have said, woman, get aside, I'm on a mission, and would have gone up there and sinned against God and caused a great deal of trouble in the kingdom. But instead, he just said, you are a smart woman. Blessed be your advice. You have rescued me today. And the situation was diffused. Down in verses 36 through 38. Because she goes back home. Mission accomplished. She received deliverance from Nabal. Now, this is kind of harsh, but the Bible says it. Verse 36. She goes home and tells Nabal what had just... Matter of fact, he was drunk when she got home, so she waited till the next morning. She goes, honey, can I talk to you for a minute? I don't know if you're aware of this, but you almost died yesterday. You insulted King David, and uh, he was about four blocks away with 400 men with swords, and I had to go down there and take care of business. And the Bible says when she said that, look at verse 36, down there, 37, 38. Nabal's heart died within him, and he became as a stone. This is a description of the physical effect when he found out how close to death he was. And then 10 days later, he died. That's not real happy. The Bible does say you reap what you sow, but here's the, here's the reality for Nabal. This woman acted in godly deference, humility, spiritual wisdom, but she still had to go home and live with stupid fool. She still had to go home. And listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. God gave her deliverance from that idiot of a husband. She didn't, she didn't have to put arsenic in his wine. She didn't have to put a, you know, a grenade in his chariot. I mean, she didn't have to do anything. All she did, she just went home and honored stupid fool. She went right back to what she had been doing the whole time. But she did let him know, you came very close to death. And the Bible seems to describe either him having a heart attack or a stroke. But 10 days later, there was a funeral. So she's free. You know, I mean, I'm going to be careful here, but uh, she inherited the business, amen? He was rolling. She's taken care of. The biggest problem in her life just got buried somewhere in Carmel. 
But here, listen, I'm, I'm trying not to be funny, but it's a little poetic justice, is it not? But Abigail, so she inherited the security for her future. So she's completely taken care of. Now, Nabal gets the grave. David gets the girl. What am I talking about? David finds out that Nabal croaked. And David sends word to Abigail. And he says, I, I'm just going to kind of give you the Jeff version of it. Said, you know, I, I want to send my condolences. Um, I hear there's been a death. So, so sorry. By the way, when your grieving period is done, would you like to get married? The Bible says she's beautiful. And she says, yeah. Nabal gets the grave. David gets the girl. Abigail gets a gentleman for the first time since her father gave her away. God just brings this all together. Now, not every story ends that way, but let me give you this last thing, and it really is the last thing. There's something very subtle that we find out later, because you really don't hear much about Abigail after this. She is plastered in 1 Samuel 25, right in our face, just a full frontal assault on our, on our capacity to look at her and say, what a woman of honor, what a woman of grace, what a woman to emulate. God help uh, women might pray, God, help my heart to be like Abigail. I don't, I'm not grown in this area yet. I want to be like her, Lord. Help me. I mean, she really is a motivational kind of example in Scripture. But here's the thing. If you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, this is really one of the only other times she's mentioned. The Bible says this. These are the sons of David who were born to him in Hebron, Daniel, by Abigail the Carmelite. The word Daniel, the name Daniel, he's also called Chiliab in another place. So he's got two different names, like a name and a nickname. But Daniel is a Hebrew name, and, it, and, and, and the meaning of it is this, God has judged me. And I believe when she held that baby boy in her arms, and typically the dads pick the name, but I believe as she looked down, and this was David's third son, you know David had lots of wives, Abigail was one of his wives, this was his third son, and the name on that baby was, my God has judged me. When we hear that, we think, God has judged me. I don't think so in this. I think Abigail looks down at that little baby boy, and every time she sees him, she sees this. God has judged me, and he has favored me. Delivered from stupid fool. Placed with the most renowned king in Israel's history prior to King Jesus. And my son, every time I look at him, I'll remember that God was my vindicator. He was the judge that set my life aright. Let me give you this, and I'm going to pray and we're going to go. A godly kingdom woman is becoming more and more rare, even in the church, because of the extreme influence in our culture. Biblical womanhood is scorned in the United States of America. But it's still right. It is still the gateway to joy, peace, power, and victory, not to mention eternal rewards for the daughters of God who will suffer scorn. You will suffer scorn. 
the, our culture is not going to applaud you for making up your mind that you're going to find out everything you can about biblical womanhood and you're going to commit to it. The world will never applaud you. But when you cross the threshold in heaven and you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and the Bible says he's going to reward according to everybody according to their deeds, you will stand before the Lord and he will look upon you and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you will stand there as a daughter of God who God has judged to have value and to have lived her life for something that was worth living for. So ladies, that's my challenge for you. Don't buy into the nonsense down here. Be the standout. Be the woman that says it's going to be hard. Maybe you've never thought about it before, but I promise you this. It's never too late to start doing the right thing. So go after it, and I'm going to promise you this. You're going to find an influx of joy and peace and power and meaningfulness in your life, and it's going to be sourced in who God says you are and who he's empowered you to be. Let's stand to our feet. Can we do that tonight? So if you want this, let me just pray this and speak this over you. It's just, if you want it, receive it. So Father, just according to your word and for the glory of Jesus, I just pray your heart to just come through with my words right now. Father, I bless all of your daughters who want to be the woman that you've designed them to be. I bless them in the name of Jesus with the endurance that it's going to take. I bless them with the ability, Lord, to rest in the identity that you give them, not what the world tries to give them. I bless them with a tenacity to fight the lies of the, the accuser and the liar who is the devil, who tells them they're wasting their life living as a biblical woman. And I bless them, Lord, to have the fruitfulness of Abigail. Vindicate them, Lord. Vindicate them in this generation. Exalt your daughters in this generation. Deliver them from being manipulators and empower them to be the greatest generation of influencers this country has ever seen from the daughters of God. In Jesus' name, amen.